When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Five, four, three, two, one, zero. All engine running. Liftoff. We have a liftoff. And welcome back into the Bama on three show. This is your host, Clint Lamb, sitting here once again with Jimmy Stein. Jimmy, we can't spend 10 minutes on the Braves today uh, like we did yesterday. <laughs> um, went way too deep into that discussion. Um, but first game of the world series is tonight. I know you're pretty pumped about it. You got any special plans? You know, I was asked that this morning by the, by the wife. She's like, I, I know you want to do something, something big. And, uh, we, we, I guess we're just so old. We just settled on grilling sausages, which doesn't sound like a big deal, but we rarely do it. That's generally <laughs> a Saturday Alabama road game type thing, but, uh, we're going to grill some sausages. That'll, that'll be the, uh, That'll be the big thing we're doing. Yeah, that's totally fine, man. I'm all for it. Uh, I, I'm pumped. Uh, it's um, it's Tuesday, and we have something sports-related, something big sports-related oh. to look forward to. Um, that's a blessing, man. Uh, oh, yeah. Hashtag blessed. Um, <laughs> <laughs> all right, today we got a mailbag episode, and we're going to dive right in. I'm not going to take up too much of your guys' time. Got four great questions. Uh, you know, we're going to – we got more than that, and we might start breaking these up. Like I said, we've done some two-parters, but – we're trying to shorten up the episodes. Uh, our producer got on to me pretty good, Jake, because we went an hour and 10 yesterday, and we've been doing that a lot lately. See, here's what happens when, you know, uh, when when we go rogue and just do it on our own. You know, sometimes Jake's on here with us, and he, he, he keeps us in line. You let me and Jimmy just talk nonstop. Uh, we'll go on for, you know, eight to 10 hours. No, you know, yeah, it, Jimmy, Jimmy understands. Anyways, um, we do have a mailbag episode today. And, you know, four questions. We got another one that's, you know, going to, we're going to do a completely separate episode on that because the conversation would be very in depth <clears throat> and a lot of fun uh, to have. So we're definitely going to be doing, uh, or getting to that question for that um, person that asked. Uh, I don't want to reveal what it is, but like I said, we're just going to dive right in. John on Twitter asked, what's the depth look, look like at safety opposite? Let me start this over. What's the depth look like at the safety spot opposite Jordan battle? I know a change is unlikely, but I would rather not have Daniel Wright involved in the defense. Finally got that question out, Jimmy, man. I don't know what it is, but we're struggling this morning. But what do you think about the safe uh, safety depth opposite Jordan battle? And, you know, what are your thoughts on Daniel Wright? Well, Daniel Wright's given up a lot of uh, bus, a lot of big plays last year, uh, led to him being benched late in the season, and DeMarco Hellams just taking that spot from him. Hellams then held on to that spot all through the spring. But then what happened is Hellams had that high ankle sprain that even led to him having some surgery. That's why he missed a game or two, and that's why he hasn't really been able to hold on to that starting spot. I think he's still struggling a little bit with the ankle. And, uh, and they had to, to go to his backup, who is Daniel Wright. And Wright, once again, has, uh, has given up some big plays, leading him to be benched again. And they put Helms back in. 
for write-ups as they've kind of gone back and forth with those guys, but they don't try a third guy. Now, as a fan, as someone that's tired of seeing uh, us get beat at that spot, uh, I've been wanting to see Brian Branch there. And, and we know the staff is pretty, pretty high on Brian Branch. To me, it's a real mystery as to why we don't see Brian Branch there. There are also other options like Christian Story, uh, Malachi Moore, who practices at safety. Um, and then, of course, we're redshirt and Kane Williams there right now. You could also move a bigger corner like Kyrie Jackson, but they haven't done that yet. Uh, I, 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 so there, there is depth. There's other options, but the staff does not use them. And I know when you see a guy give up plays, it's just natural for all of us to say, why don't they try someone else? Well, see, this is what we don't see. They do try someone else. They practice like five days a week. <laughs> they practice. They do try someone else. We just don't get to see it. We unfortunately have to trust that they're playing the best players. And the thing is, I think it's a fun discussion point for fans. What other options do we have? Who would you? What would you like to see? But we do have to trust that they're playing the best players. It's it's nuts to assume for a single second of your life that Nick Saban isn't committed to playing the best players. Uh, this is his opinion as to who's the best player. Don't, don't, don't allow yourself to think this either, that Nick Saban goes home cussing because Charles Kelly won't play the guy Nick wants there. I mean, no, this is Nick Saban's ultimate decision as to who plays with lots of input from the coach that coaches that particular spot. But uh, I... As to why we only see Helms and Wright there, it's frustrating. But my answer is, per the staff, per Nick Saban, those are the two best options we have at the spot. And see, for me, I thought Daniel Wright played pretty well last, you know, not against Tennessee, but against Mississippi State, you know, when he got that start. Um, and so I thought maybe he was starting to make some progress as far as some of the things that he had done um, that were a hindrance uh during the 2020 season when he was the the starter last week a lot of those issues kind of crept back up um you know busted coverages you had one missed tackle that leads to him getting uh i wouldn't say bench necessarily i mean yeah that's what happened but you know demarco hellums with the way that nick saban had had approached it he said that hellums was still not 100 percent healthy and that they still viewed him as a starter so what they ended up doing was saying okay you know even though hellums is probably not 100 percent we're going to put it, go ahead and get him back into his normal spot, starting safety spot. And what I'm hoping is that that is what this is. You know, Helms, he got named a, a player of the week, which, you know, there, there's a part of me that thinks that's somewhat of a confidence booster. Um, you know, it, he, I don't think he played a bad game whatsoever. Do I think he was one of the nine best players on the team um, in that particular game? No, I do not. Um, and, you know, but that's, you know, Nick Saban is very smart in, in how he does things. And I talked a little bit about it last week with the tight ends uh, in my, you know, um, you know, getting them back involved in the offense. And I think that was an emphasis early in the game. And they've kind of tilled off a little bit. But, uh, you know, Nick Saban stays, you know, 12 steps ahead. And I think that with, uh, you know, DeMarco Hellams and, and getting him, you know, giving, getting his confidence back, getting him 100% healthy. What does he look like when he is 100% healthy? You know, is he a liability in any sort of way? Um, you know, one guy, you know, I think if Kyrie Jackson was going to be an option, I think he could play safety. I think he's, you know, got the physical style for it. He's got the length. You know, he's 6'3", 197 pounds. He's closing in on 200 pounds. 
So definitely got the, the, the size and the length for it. And he's pretty athletic as well. I think he's got a little bit of range back there, but if that's not a move that's going to be made, then him go from being a corner to a safety and him start the next week or him be heavily involved in the game plan. You would need to see that now um, or start seeing that now in order for him to be, you know, getting involved in the conversation, you know, around Arkansas or Auburn, in my opinion, the, the one that I thought was strange and I understand why they did it in the beginning um, because it just felt like that at safety, because you had the option of moving a Malachi Moore or a Brian branch, from star to safety, I thought that they, maybe they viewed safety as having a little bit more depth. And so Terry and Arnold, the true freshman, I thought that he, you know, he's been playing corner pretty much this entire season. I thought long-term, uh, he was, he's definitely a safety. Um, you know, I think he's got a lot of versatility. He can play star. He can play safety. He can play perimeter corner. You know, he's kind of got that Xavier McKinney, uh, Minka Fitzpatrick type of, versatility to him um but you know at the same time it's the same thing as as Kyrie Jackson if they plan to make him or get him involved in the in the equation at safety they would have done that uh already if they were planning to do that soon um you know and maybe they're making a move during the bye week with, with one of those two guys and then by the time that Arkansas and Auburn roll around one of those guys is ready to contribute or you know that's at least the plan is to try those guys out there that's happening behind the scenes so I don't really know um but, you know, it, it is a little strange that Malachi Moore, you know, he's the one that I think, you know, you go with Brian Branch uh, at star. Has he been perfect there? No. But I think he's a good player at the star position. And, it, you know, the only turnover that Malachi Moore has gotten this season, he was playing safety in the first game of the year. Um, and, you know, I, I think he's got, you know, I, he's great at star. He's fine there. Um, I think, you know, a lot of people view him as having a sophomore slump, and they're correct. But um, I think if you move him back to safety, you would get production from that spot and you would get still get production from the star position as well. So that would be what I would do. But I think just with the veteran experience of those other two guys being third and fifth year players um, and the fact that I think Nick Saban's got a little bit of loyalty, he understands what they're doing behind the scenes and they must be doing all the things right behind the scenes, you know, as, as far as trying to get better and trying to prepare more. And um, so I don't think that a move is going to happen necessarily uh, anytime soon. But I get why you would ask the question. Uh, Jimmy, you got anything else? Well, I'll just throw in it's kind of strange. And, and obviously it's off the tape and they grade it and they watch every play and they watch it. But it's kind of strange to me when Helms was hurt game one, the initial move when Helms couldn't play game one against Miami was Malachi Moore to safety. And, 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 and they haven't done that since. And obviously it's for a good reason in their minds. Uh, it's just frustrating to us because, see, we, we don't see practice. We, we don't know those things. We don't even see the, the official grades, you know, from the, from the staff. Uh, we, we just know when we watch the games who, who appears to us to, to not be playing well or, or getting beat. But uh, I, I think Nick, just, just my own personal opinion, I think Nick Saban really likes DeMarco Helms as a player. I, I think he really does. Helms just isn't 100%. If we're making a mistake, it's probably – uh, forcing Helms back when, when he wasn't 100% and not developing an option uh, beyond Daniel Wright. But, hey, Wright's in his fifth year. Uh, Helms is in his third year, as you point out. Uh, they, they should know uh, what to do. And uh, I think once Helms is 100%, he'll probably be a pretty good player. I agree. Uh, I completely agree, actually. I think there's more than we know, and there's a reason he's staying committed Um you know, especially to Helms. Um, all right, next question. Will Anderson for Heisman, uh, which is his name on Twitter. 
which I completely agree with, by the way, let's, let's make this, let's start this campaign. I'm with you, buddy. Um, his, his, um, Twitter handle is T E R M stone. Um, I don't, I think that's short for something, but he asked Clint and or Jimmy, the Bam on three show has become a must listen for me. I love what you guys discuss every week. My question is how good do you think this Alabama offensive line can be by mid to late November? First of all, thank you so much for listening. We really appreciate that. Um, you know, uh, we, we love what we're doing, uh, but Jimmy take this one away. What do you think about the offensive line and not just about where they're at, but where they could be, you know, here right. in, in, you know, three or four weeks. I think it's some, here's the good news uh, in my opinion. And we'll see if Clint agrees. He's very, very football smart. Uh, in my opinion, we're better. We're better today than we were against Miami from, from where we were week one, to now where we were in game eight, I think there has been improvement. Uh, I'm not using the word steady improvement because I'm not sure that we were better in week two and then better in week three and then better in week four. I'm just saying the general trajectory has been upward. Uh, I do think we've improved. There's more chemistry. I think they're doing a better job uh, with with blitz pickups and stunts and loops and just the general uh, making line calls, getting everybody lined up right. Uh, as Dow Court has gotten more experience. Let's remember, we went in, we spent the spring and the fall with a different center. I mean, we we, we sort of made a, a game time decision practically against Miami to go with Dow Court instead of Owens at center. And I think it took a few weeks for that to straighten itself out because we had, again, used Chris at center and, and, and then we had to go with Dow Court there. So I think they're better because they have been better. I think there's reason to believe they'll be even better by the end of November. And they need to be. Uh, they're going to play potentially, potentially the best defensive front I may have ever seen in the SEC. That's how good that Georgia defensive line is. Uh, maybe the best I've ever seen. They'll have to be better to give us a chance in game 13 if we make it that far. Um, Clint, uh, I know he's about to talk about this, uh, and, and I bought it up on yesterday's show. He made an excellent tweet last week about you know, in 2018, before the season even started, you could look at those five offensive linemen and say, well, that's five NFL players. And you knew that before the season started. Here we are two-thirds of the way through this season. The only guy I bet my life's going to play for a long time in the NFL is Evan Neal. I, I think the jury is – I think chances are Cohen is a pro player. I think Ekior has some level of pro career coming up for himself. Uh, not sure about Dow Court yet. Probably not on Chris Owens, but I'm not even ready to bet on Cohen and Ekior. I mean, that, that's kind of where I'm looking on this offensive line. I see one slam dunk, badass SEC lineman, Evan Neal. I think two of them are pretty good, Cohen and Ekior. Two of them I'm not so sure about, and Dow Court and Owens. That's not how we've talked about our offensive line in recent years. They've kind of all been Evan Neal's or something like him. And uh, you know, last year we had Landon Dickerson, badass, great player. Deontay Brown, maybe the best run blocker in the whole SEC. Alex Leatherwood, who was a first-round pick, and Evan Neal. That's four, uh, with the fifth guy being Ekior, who seemed to be better when he was surrounded by great players. And, and, and that's understandable. Um, I just question what I will call the overall dude level of the offensive line. Therefore, 
this group may have a ceiling that's lower than some of our previous groups. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. I completely agree with you. Um, it, it just from a think about it from a run blocking standpoint to start. You know, Jedrick Wills just punished guys. He was a mauler. Um, you know, Alex Leatherwood. You know, he kind of had a little bit of a lean build, but whether he was at right guard or left tackle. He had that same kind of mentality. Deontay Brown was just a massive body who could just move people in the run game. Even even guys like Lester Cotton, um, who you know I would put him kind of on the level of some of these other guys that we're talking about. You know, an, an Emil Ikior Jr. Um, I think Ikior has a little bit of a higher ceiling and could still end up being you know a mid round draft pick. Um, you know, we got to remember he's not finished as far as his career at Alabama and, and where he could be. But um, you know, you had Landon Dickerson last year. You had, um, you know, you've had Evan Neal and you still have Evan Neal, but, you know, Jonah Williams, uh, he wasn't necessarily a mauler, but he was one of those guys that was, you know, very technically sound, great at getting to the second level, very athletic for an offensive lineman. You know, Chris Owens uh, is a good player, you know, and he would start and be a very good player for a lot of teams. For Alabama, compared to what they've had in the past, he is not up to that same standard, and, and that's not his fault. There are so many guys that don't ever – you know, um, you know, to be honest with you, there are a lot of Chris Owens caliber guys that come through Tuscaloosa and never really get the chance to play because they do have all those other guys in front of him. And had it not been for him, you know, utilizing his extra year of COVID eligibility, Chris Owens would have been one of those guys who you saw, you know, at times at center, you saw him at left tackle at points, you know, he played a little bit, um, but you never really saw him be a full-time starter for the entirety of a season. And we would always viewed him as just, you know, he's a good, you know, quality backup rotational offensive lineman when you needed him. Uh, but he got pressed into starting action this year because J.C. Latham isn't ready. Damian George apparently isn't ready. And so, you know, it, it is what it is. And I do think that if there's any place right now where I would want to see, you know, what is going on behind the scenes, it would be the offensive line more than anywhere else. Um, don't get me wrong. Would love to see it at safety and really in the secondary in general. Um, but with the offensive line, it's like, you know, which I found it interesting, you know, Emil Ikior Jr. goes down with an injury against, uh, I think it was an arm injury, but I, I don't think it's, you know, lingering or going to affect him moving forward. But JC Latham was the guy that ended up coming in at right guard. You know, he, he kind of took that Alex Leatherwood approach where I think he's built to be a tackle. Um, he's got a, definitely got a tackles build. But, you know, Leatherwood was a good offensive guard, and J.C. Latham, if that's where they ended up needing him, then, you know, I think he'd be a good offensive guard as well. But it just, you know, I kind of thought originally the the move would be, hey, kick Chris Owens inside the guard and put J.C. Latham at right tackle. And they decided to go the exact opposite way. So I don't know what the offensive line's going to be, you know, here in three weeks, but I certainly think it's going to be better and and i think jimmy's right i think that they are better today than they were against miami um you know i think that chris owens kind of got slung into the fire and we and we it's like you said we have to remember that this guy was practicing at center he was working in a phone booth you know he didn't have to worry about sec speed off the edges um and then all of a sudden you know you, you go against miami 
in week one and it's like, hey, you know, everything you've been doing, you don't, you no longer have to worry about snapping the football. That's great. But hey, you're going to have to work, uh, you know, or worry about speed and power off the edge. And you're going to be going against some pretty darn good defensive ends here in the SEC. Even the teams that you wouldn't think have good defensive linemen, everybody's got good defensive linemen in the SEC to some degree, unless you're, you know, well, even, even Vanderbilt, to be quite honest, they've had some good SEC defensive linemen uh, in the last few years. So that's my thoughts on the offensive line. And it's, it's, it's a tough question to answer because one, d- one more, one more point. I hear this, not from everybody, but, but I hear this, the, why don't they just try Damian George or JC Lake and just put them out there and try it? Well, you're talking about the health of the starting quarterback who, as far as I'm concerned, is the difference between us contending for a national championship and, and ending the season in Orlando against Michigan State. Um, <laughs> you can't just try someone out there because all it takes is one snap and, and Bryce can get wiped out. So coaches are not reckless with the offensive line. And yeah, Chris has gotten Bryce hit. That has happened. But they're going to play the five guys they trust the most to keep Bryce healthy. The time to tinker is at the end of games. And we saw it last year with Bryce Young. He would come into games and the the coaching staff was worried about tinkering with the offensive line and and trying guys out of different spots. And it was, you know, to the detriment of Bryce Young. A lot of people were down on him, even though, you know, they were trying a lot of things out around him. And and they're just there hadn't been too many opportunities. I understand they blow out Mississippi State. There was a chance. Um, Ole Miss, you know, gave up some late stuff, but yeah, they're Tennessee was a little bit close for quite a while. Wasn't until the end where they pulled away. Miami, similar situation. I mean, I just don't think there has been as many opportunities as years past, maybe to to kind of mess with things and see what you got. But, anyways, uh, moving on to the next question. Dwight Creaseman on Twitter asked, "It seems like over the last two to three games, we haven't used our tight ends Latou and Billingsley very much. In earlier games, they were great and hard to defend." What's going on? Drops. Drops. Uh, I think when they've both dropped balls and when that happens, you, you, I think you have a tendency to stay away from it. I, I heard, I think it was Herm Edwards, who's doing a, a pretty good job at Arizona State and, and was an NFL coach. I remember a diatribe I heard from him during a speech uh, talking about drop passes. And I'll try to paraphrase it, but it was like, do you know how much has to go right for a ball to be thrown accurately to an eligible receiver that, that hits him in the hands? All five offensive linemen not only have to know who to block, they get them blocked. The center has to snap the ball accurately to the quarterback who has to catch the ball. The running back maybe has to pick up a fifth or sixth pass rusher. The receivers all generally, but at least one receiver has to run an exceptional route to gain separation against a talented athlete who's covering him. And then the quarterback has to deliver an accurate ball down the field through traffic to get to the receiver. And he said, when all of that happens and then the receiver just drops the ball, he's like, never throw it to that son of a bitch again. (laughs) look at what all had to go right to even get to that point and then the guy just drops a ball and I'm not talking about the tough catch because only 
scholarship talented athletes can make those circus catches. I'm talking about the balls that uh, that me and Clint can catch and that everybody listening to the show generally has caught a football in their front yard or their backyard. I'm I can make those tough contested catches, by the way. I'm very I'm sure I'm sure you can. You're a college football athlete yourself, <laughs> though not a wide receiver. <laughs> not even close. But I'm just saying that the drops are bad. They're bad. And I think once you you have a guy who drops the ball, it's a natural tendency on the part of the coach and the quarterback to maybe stay away from him until they earn some trust again. And, and it would be different if it was just one drop. You know, Slade Bolden dropped a ball in the end zone. We went right back at him. That's because Slade had built up two or three years of goodwill. Slade don't drop many balls. That was like, did that happen? Because we're not used to Slade dropping balls. But Billingsley and Latu, there's just been too many drops. So I think we are targeting them less. But all it will take is a game where they catch two or three balls each without any drops, and they'll be right back being primary targets. But 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 I think we didn't stop targeting them. They started dropping balls, which led to fewer targets. And I certainly think that that's part of it. And I think that was a big reason. I think it was they were trying to get a confidence booster against uh, Tennessee. You know, the first two third down attempts of the game by Alabama's offense, one went to Jaleel Billingsley, the other went to Cameron Latou, and they converted on both of them. And very early on in that game, I thought, okay, here we go. You know, this is going to be one of those games where they say, hey, let's get you guys back involved, get your confidence back up. You had a couple of rough weeks. And you're right. It's not just one drop that'll do it. It's the constantly going to them in key moments and them not coming up with with a big play. And I think Latou bounced back a lot more than Billingsley this past week. Um, Billingsley had a terrible drop. I mean, it was a very easy, very catchable ball um, that he put on the ground. And you, you and he's been doing this for you know a little while now, and he's got to get that fixed. But I don't think that's the only factor here. I think also. You know, it's a combination of things. Um, you've you've had you know early in the season, you had to have those guys. The receivers weren't creating separation. Uh, Jamison Williams had hadn't established himself as a premier SEC receiver. John Mechie wasn't one hundred percent healthy. He was not doing what he's done over the last two weeks. And so, obviously, as you start to transition and you start figuring out, we got two very good wide receivers here. Um, they can be the focal point of our passing game. Then, obviously, in those instances, the tight ends are going to take a back seat. That what you but what they have to do if they want to remain involved in the offensive game plan is when you you know your your opportunities they're going to decrease but you've got to maximize your opportunities and right now I think Cameron Latou is starting to do it a little bit more than Billingsley but I still would say that both are not maximizing their reps or their their uh, targets and opportunities in the passing game. And it's something that they need to get corrected. And I fully believe in both players' capabilities of getting that done. Um, so once that starts to happen, on top of what, you know, like I said, if you're expecting them to have, you might have a, a particular game plan uh, against a certain team that might be struggling against tight ends. But at this point, you know, I don't think that you'll see the types of games that we saw at the beginning of the year just because of the emergence of the uh, other guys at wide receiver. There's more options and there's only so many targets to go around. All right, last question. And I thought this was going to be quite an interesting topic. Uh, Steve on Twitter asked, does this team have a championship mentality? Do you think they've got the right approach? Why do you think Saban is so reluctant to make changes sometimes? Well, Nick Saban has the most proven championship 
approach in the history of the sport. Uh, if we're not going to trust Nick Saban to put together championship football teams, we'll never trust anyone. <laughs> I mean, you know, uh, you can almost hear Nick Saban right now going, you know, when are y'all going to trust me to coach this football team? Um, you know, how many, how many games does he have to win before we, <laughs> before we start trusting him? Uh, but that's Nick Saban. Look, every team has a little bit different personality. I think it's fair to question the leadership of this group. Um, I question on two or three levels. Number one, there's just not that many older players on the team. We have 87 on scholarship because we have two super seniors and Chris Owens and Brian Robinson who are only on the team still playing due to a COVID year a year ago. So we have 87 guys, right? Well, over 50 of them are freshmen in eligibility, meaning that they are in their first year or their second year. So over 50, and it really is more like 60 of the 87 are freshmen, first and second year players. This is a roster that just doesn't have a lot of fifth year guys, fourth year guys, even third year guys. There's not a lot of upperclassmen. Uh, basically every upperclassman that's on the team is playing. Very few of them are on the bench. Um, so I think that's one issue. Uh, Bryce Young is clearly the best player and the MVP of the offense. He's a second-year guy. Will Anderson is the MVP, the leader of the defense. He's a second-year guy. I'm not sure that's conducive to building a championship team. But that all said, I said this yesterday. I'm going to say it again because it's really important. This Alabama team does not have to measure up to previous Alabama teams. There is no requirement that they match up with last year's Alabama team or that we be as good as 2017 Alabama or as good as 2011 Alabama. We don't have to be as good as those teams. We just have to be better than the team we're playing against that week. And can Alabama be better than the team they are playing against every week for the rest of the season? The answer to that is yes, they can. I think that's a good way to put it. And this is, you know, Nick Saban's talked about it. You know, the, the 2010 group is one that Nick Saban has brought up a lot over the years. You know, they had done, they had gone undefeated in 2009 and just the approach, you know, it was very tough for him to get guys to buy in. They, they felt kind of entitled. They felt like they're Alabama, um, they're, you know, they're national champions, even though Nick Saban likes to tell teams, Hey, you're not a national champion, uh, you know, or this group is not a national championship group that this year's uh, national champion has not been crowned this team, you know, last year's team, you might've been a part of that team, but you're now a part of this team and this team has done nothing yet. And it's something that I think he's helped build the, the entire process of, of the way that Alabama goes about things doing that. But you know, those guys felt entitled. They felt like they didn't have to work as hard or do the same things that they needed to do the year before to get there because you know, th that comes with any amount of success. It's not a matter of getting to the top of the mountain a lot of people have the capability of getting there. Staying there is way more difficult. And, you know, I think that this year, you know, what's funny about this is this is the first team, the first roster since that 2010 team that is coming off an undefeated Nick Saban National Championship. You know, they were perfect last year. The deficiencies that they had defensively, they still went undefeated. You know, it was a very similar situation last year. So when you look at that, you say, well, we won a national championship and, you know, we, we took this approach and yeah, we missed tackles and yeah, we, you know, Ole Miss pretty much had their way with our defense, but we still beat them and we still beat everybody else that we played. You know, it's very difficult to say, yeah, but you got to understand like that was, you know, it, it, the offense was different. I mean, you can go into a thousand reasons why that happened, but I'm saying from a player's perspective, um, a young kid's perspective, it's just, it's, it's trying to get these guys to buy in and take the correct approach. 
And I think that Nick Saban is making headway in that. I do still think that this is, you know, Aaron Suttles uh, on Twitter, or, or I guess he was on the, I think it was the Paul Feinbaum show, but he talked about how this team is giving Nick Saban heartburn, um, you know, with their inconsistencies, and he's trying to get them to be consistent, and he can't do it. And I saw him, Aaron Suttles, getting roasted for that. And I didn't understand it because that's, I feel like that's exactly what's happening. I think it's very frustrating to watch this team which is, I think is making progress, but I don't think that anybody would look at them and say they're consistent, not even close. In fact, um, you know, it, it, but it, it's a leadership standpoint. Uh, I think you got certain guys who are starting to step up and demand more. You know, I think that it, it's not about where you start. It's about where you finish. Um, so do I think that the team had a championship mentality from the first game of the year? No, I don't. I think the loss did a lot as far as getting them back on track and making them realize that you can lose. You know what Nick Saban, when talking about that 2010 group, he said it wasn't until after the Auburn game that people really started to realize, wow, you know, we're not just going to win because we're Alabama. And he's like between Auburn and going to the, uh, you know, playing Michigan state in the bowl game. He said that he felt like that there was a complete shift in mentality. They were ready to play football. And, you know, unfortunately Michigan state was on the, on the receiving end of that. You know, I wouldn't say that this group has quite had that kind of bounce back after their loss, but I do think that it's changed things. And so hopefully, you know, that continues. It's, I understand why this question is being asked because you are, you know, it's like after that loss, they looked really good against uh, Mississippi State and then against Tennessee. You know, there were some issues tackling, blown coverage, you know, kind of blown coverages. Some of it was not blown coverage. It was, you know, not being prepared or not being ready. You've got the offense that's stalling out for long periods of time. It just feels like that that maybe that success or that that mentality for Mississippi State was very limited, and it wasn't a, a lasting thing like we thought it was going to be. I'm not ready to jump on that train yet, but I do understand where there's some concern with it. Um, so that's my thoughts on it. It's we'll, we'll have to see. I think this is a very strange year. I think when you talk about all the stuff that's happening around the world the NIL stuff as far as being a distraction. It, it's a new college football that we're dealing with or in today than the stuff that Nick Saban was dealing with back in 2010. And I think he's learning how to manage that and he's doing a very good job of it. He's just got to continue to, to keep his foot on the gas and get people to buy in. And I certainly think he's capable. So Jimmy, um, you got anything else to add? No, no, I don't think so. I, last thing being, you know, when Nick, this, this video has made its way around the Twitterverse a lot. You know, when Nick Saban told the, the reporter after the, the ESPN reporter after the game that, uh, hey, let's just celebrate this. Let's not, let's not focus on the errors. We, we beat Tennessee. Everybody's happy. The kids are happy. Let's just celebrate this. And we're not going to talk about the mental errors. People are like, whoa, this is a new Nick Saban. What do you mean? Enjoy yourself. Enjoy a win if you're not happy about the amount of errors. I think people read that wrong. It's it's the other way. Nick, that was Nick telling everybody, we're not good. <laughs> we're not good enough. We're not good enough. There are errors that we have to correct. Uh, we can't correct them Saturday night when the game is over. They'll be corrected in the film room on Sunday and on the practice field uh, today, Tuesday. But uh, that, that wasn't Nick turning over a new leaf. That was Nick announcing this was not acceptable. It's the same Nick Saban. And I bet uh, the staff uh, has been uh, – it's been made clear that the, the errors have to stop. Yeah. I mean, and I do think that 
Nick Saban is learning. He's very good. One thing I've learned going back and listening to, to a lot of his leadership stuff, his ability to understand people and understand how to motivate people and how to discipline people. There's a reason Rolando McClain never had many issues at Alabama, and yet he gets to the NFL and, and the guy can't stay out of trouble. You know, when he was in high school, he couldn't stay out of trouble. The time he was in Tuscaloosa, didn't have any issues. And why was that? Because Nick Saban understood how to discipline him, how to approach him, how to motivate him. Um, and I think that, you know, as much as we all hate it, uh, or some of us may hate it, just, you know, young adults, young kids, um, that they, they, are not they don't have the same mentality or the same approach to life as even me as a 31 year old 10 years ago 15 years ago it's just it's a different world that we live in um people are a little bit more sensitive this whole idea of you know my coach was doing stuff that now you, there's no way that he would get by with doing um and so I think Nick Saban is adjusting like he's done every with everything else. He's a he's adjusting his approach and he's giving people praise. I think and he's always been the kind to, to give people recognition. Um, him going to give the student section recognition, you know, he's hard on them sometimes, or he has been in the past. Him going to praise them because he'd asked something to them and they delivered. Um, I don't think that's necessarily new, but I think that it's Nick Saban saying, "Hey, um, you know, I, I believe in you guys. Um, we got errors." There, this was not a game that we all need to be content with, but we're going to, you know, our fans are happy that we just beat Tennessee. We're happy that we just beat Tennessee and let's let the players go enjoy it. And we'll worry about getting back to work on Sunday. Um, and, and I just think that that's him saying, Hey, you know, I do want to acknowledge that you guys won this football game and you won it big. And I know that everybody out here is trying hard. Uh, and I think that once he starts questioning people's effort, you're going to get, go right back to seeing that other Nick Saban. He understands they're not perfect, but he also understands that they're playing hard and they're trying to do the right things and it's like he said in the past he, and he said it about that 2010 team everybody wanted to win on saturday you know once saturday came that was not an issue whatsoever the problem was is you know monday or sunday through friday that was where we had issues and i still think he's trying to get people to buy in the correct way so that's going to do it for today's episode of the bama on three show the mailbag edition i hope jake is pleased with us uh keeping this a lot shorter which i'm sure he is um and he's 100 percent right by the way i'm a huge talker you are Man, we could we could do this for hours, and we love it. Um, I, every day I look forward to this. Um, on days where I, I do the first and ten, and you're not on there with me, I don't look nearly as much forward to that um, as I do these. I love going back and forth, and I love answering people's questions. And we are going to have a, uh, you know, a, an, a, I guess another mailbag. It's just one question, but it's a really in depth. We'll have to look at it from a lot of different angles and have a lot of back and forth discussion. Um, but we're going to be doing that. Um, you know, recording that a little bit later this week. And then we're going to be talking about some bye week stuff and things that we want to see guys, maybe that we want to see more coming out of the bye week things. They need to change, need to work on looking at the future schedule, you know, looking at their playoff chances. We're going to have an entire episode later this week with that stuff as well. So we appreciate you guys tuning in. This has been a lot of fun and uh, we'll talk to you guys soon. This has been the Bam on three show and I'm your host, Clint lamb. <laughs>